بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد إمام المحاسب says وتواضع للحق وخضع له وتواضع للحق وخضع له which means when it comes to the truth of course for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but anything related to truth then submit to that humble yourself for that exercise humility with regards to the truth and submit to it generally speaking whenever a person is in a dispute well, there's some confusing matter generally to do with disputes, especially if it's about a dispute over that uh, a dispute in which a person's um, wealth is going to be impacted. Something it's an argument over possessing something, owning something, the right to have something, or if it's an argument about who did better. An argument about who's correct in terms of the argument. In all of these things, this is a an advice. If we follow, you will gain a lot more respect than the perceived respect that people have when they want to win an argument. You may win an argument because of having more supporters around you that are cheering you on. Unfortunately, what we've seen in the world is that when people argue... Generally speaking, it's the louder ones that win. So the one who can make a louder noise, they don't win. They just get away with it. They kind of have the last word. Especially if you have a free, few supporters around you who also have loud voices and just drown the other voice out. Then generally that's considered winning. But is it really winning? When a person's connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the hereafter, and has what we call the sifa of siddiqiyya, of sidq. Right. This is always wanting to be on the true side, on the fair side. This is a characteristic. This is a character trait. I don't care what happens. I'd rather be on the truth. Even if I have to say sorry, even if I have to say, okay, I was wrong, you win. I'd rather be on the side of truth because the person on the side of truth is always going to be better off in many, many senses. Both in terms of this world, because you will feel much better with yourself. Because you know, the, the most difficult part is to say, sorry, I was wrong. right? And maybe face up to some consequence to that. But once it's over, you will feel so much better and you won't have any kind of burden in your heart. So the only difficult part is the part about saying sorry. That's the only difficult part. In fact, you can get used to doing that. So that becomes easy as well. Because the path of truth is supposed to be easy. It's supposed to give you comfort. So initially, if, you're, if, we're, if we're defensive generally, and we learn to start saying sorry, it is a barrier that you have to overcome. And being, you know, being able to say sorry is not easy all the time. So there's a barrier, it stops you. Oh, what people are going to think of me? I was wrong. So what? So many other times I've been right. This time I was wrong. No problem. The truth should prevail. When you want to respect the truth because of Allah is the truth, and truth comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you want to respect it for Allah's sake. And essentially what you're doing is you are doing tawada'a lil haq. 
you are hum humiliating yourself, humbling yourself for the sake of the truth. And the hadith is very clear that man Allah. Anybody who humiliates himself, humbles himself for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah will raise him. So that's going to come. So just think about it like that. Next time you're in a dispute, you know you're wrong, or you think you're wrong, or at least whatever it is, try to just understand that this is an act of humility, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give me the respect that I may try to preserve here by continuing on, uh, on, on the wrong opinion as such. And just, just submit to it. Because after that, you'll feel so much better. You won't be carrying that, you know, you, 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 know, you know, the worst part is that when you are wrong, but you convince yourself you're right. That's even worse than knowing you're wrong and just arguing for it. That's bad as well. But the worst, eventually what a person like this will do, because they have to ask themselves, am I really right or wrong? No, no, I was right for this reason. And you talk to somebody and say, look, this is what I did. No, 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 he's right. You're right. He shouldn't have done this in the first place or whatever the case is. There's many ways of justifying things. It's all perspective at the end of the day. Right? There's deception in the world, right? Deception exists. So anything can be deceptive. So what you start doing is you start to cover yourself up. And you start to justify yourself. And this then leads to hypocrisy, which is a disease. As Allah says, that maradun. In their heart is a disease. Because hypocrisy is a disease. It's about playing to covering the truth in your heart, convincing yourself, and acting like somebody else. <coughs> this is a disease and it's very dangerous. And you don't want to live like that. Anybody who is true to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't want to live like that. They want to be as honest as possible and fair as possible. So that's what he's saying. Just, just be very careful about this. That's what he's saying. Because this is the trait of the believer, the righteous believer. Al-Mu'min al-Salih. فَإِنَّهُمْ إِذَا عَرَفُوا الْحَقَّ سَارَعُوا إِلَيْهِ When they realize what the truth is, they rush to the truth. They hasten to the truth. They don't then dilly-dally about the it. Batil, the wrong, the falsehood becomes clear in their hearts then they become so averse to it. They become so averse to it that they start hating it so much that they just move away from it. That, that is the idea. Why should I remain on the untruth? Why should I remain on the false falsehood? I know I'm false. I know I'm wrong. Why should I carry on like that? I'm carrying baggage. I'm carrying dirt. That's the way they look at it. Uh, Amr ibn Ubaid Once he made an opinion, he gave an opinion about something and made a big blunder, made a mistake. Wasil ibn Ata, he disputed with him. So, both of these guys, Amr ibn Ubaid and Wasil ibn Ata, they became the leaders of the Mu'tazilites afterwards. They used to be with Hassan al Basri, rahimahullah, the first hadith in. <clears throat> and this Amr ibn Ubaid and Ma'bad al-Juhani the, the, These were the people who had denied Qadr or something at the beginning They became the, you can say, the, the founders of the Mu'tazila group, the rationalists They were with Hassan Basri But anyway, in this case Wasil ibn Ata Disputed him on that point, Amr ibn Ubaid So Amr ibn Ubaid then 
it became clear to him that he, is, he was wrong in that mas'ala, in that issue. So he says, okay, fine. He said, ma bayni wa bayn al-haqqi min adawa. He said, okay, I take my word back, I take my opinion back because I have no enmity with, with the truth. So why shouldn't I take the truth? I have no, I have no problem with the truth. So that, you see the perspective? Uh, Ibn Hajr al-Asqalani, rahimahullah, he mentions in his Tahdeeb al-Tahdeeb. Uh, this is a book on Asma'ul Rijal. This is a book on the narrators of hadith. Thousands and thousands he discusses their life and who they were and all that, right? Their biographies. Um, this one, there's a person whose name was Ubaidullah ibn al-Hasan al-Ambari. Ubaidullah ibn al-Hasan al-Ambari. Died in about 167. So, in di- discussing his biography, uh, he... he uh, this Ubaidullah ibn, ibn al-Hassan was one of the leaders of the Ahlul Basra, the people of Basra. He was one of the great religious leaders of the people of Basra. He was one of their fuqaha, one of his their jurists. And uh, he was also the qadi of Basra. So he's a big scholar, right? Ubaidullah ibn al-Hassan. One of his students, Abdurrahman ibn Mahdi. Many people may have heard him because he's a narrator of hadith. Abdurrahman ibn Mahdi. He is a narrator of, he is a student of his. He relates that once we were in a janazah, in a funeral, and I asked him about a mas'ala. Now when you're in a janazah, your mind is occupied. You're not sitting in a class. You're out and about. Right? There's something that you're thinking about. He asked him a mas'ala and he made a mistake in it. Can I ask you a question? Oh, I found you. I've been wanting to ask you a question. He asked him a question. He made a mistake. So I said to him, May Allah correct you, reform you, grant you salvation, however you want to translate that. The opinion in it should be this and that. Now, why did he ask him the question in the first place if he knew what the right answer was? Well, maybe he didn't know what the right answer was, but the answer that he did receive definitely was wrong, was off track. You know, sometimes you think of a mas'ala and you think the answer should be like this, but you're not sure. So you ask your teacher, he gives you something totally contradictory and you just can't understand how that's possible and you say, no, that has to be wrong. I've thought about that one, that has to be wrong. Shouldn't the answer be like this? He lowered his head for a while and then he said, he raised it and said, He says, okay, I take my word back. I'm, you know, I'm on the, uh, basically, I'm in humility. Right? I take my word back. لَأَنْ أَكُونَ ذَنَبًا فِي الْحَقِّ أَحَبُّ إِلَيَّ مِنْ أَكُونَ رَأْسًا فِي الْبَاطِلِ This is the way these people used to think. Look at the way he explains this. He says that, take an animal. He says, I'd rather be the tail of truth than be a head of batil or falsehood. <coughs> so rather than be in, at the front of wrong and falsehood, I'd rather be at the back and truthful. It's very interesting um, Example he gives there. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy on him. Uh, again, another story in the Tahdeeb al-Tahdeeb of Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani. He says, uh, this one is about Malik ibn Mighwal al-Kufi. Malik ibn Mighwal al-Kufi. He died in about 159 Hijri. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal says, that I heard Sufyan ibn Uyayna saying, somebody said to this Malik ibn Mighwal, Ittaqillah, fear Allah. So he went and he put his 
cheek onto the ground. So there must have been a masala, an issue. And somebody said, you, should, you need to fear Allah. So he went and put his on the ground to say, look, I'm, I'm, I've submitted to Allah. That's, I mean, obviously we're not telling you to do that. It's just an expression of how people were so inclined to be truthful. Because this is the Siddiqin. What does Allah say about the Siddiqin? You know when we read, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Maliki Yawmiddin Iyaka Na'budu wa Iyaka Nasta'een Ihdina Sirat Al-Mustaqeem Guide us to the straight path. Then to define that straight path, Sirat Al-Ladheena An'amta Alayhim the path of those who you have showered your bounties upon. Not the ones who your anger has come upon and not the ones who have been astray. So in the surah is general here, but in another surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells you who these people are that Allah has showered their bounty upon. This is those people who Allah has showered His bounties upon, meaning the prophets, the truthful ones, the Siddiqin, champions of truth, whose state is of truth. They just always want to be on the truth regardless. This is the state I'm talking about. It's complete opposite of nifaq. The shuhada, uh, the, the martyrs, and salihin, the generally righteous and pious. Now, Siddiqin generally going to be righteous and pious, but this has been singled out and is mentioned second after the Prophets, because the Prophets were always truthful. You can't allow falsehood in your heart. Very wrong. Just very wrong. You will live with that for a while. It will haunt you. And if it doesn't haunt you, then that means your, your, your heart is diseased. If telling an untruth, living an untruthful life, doesn't haunt you, then it's even worse. Because if it haunts you, then you have the time to make tawbah and change. If it doesn't haunt you, it means the disease is so there that you just can't see it. That's really bad. Then he says, وَأَدِمْ ذِكْرَ اللَّهِ قُرْبَهُ There's no other way for this. Remain with the dhikr of Allah. Perpetually do the dhikr of Allah. And you will then gain His closeness. You know, the simple thing is just keep taking his name and you will get close to Allah. Just keep taking his name. It's as simple as that, really. Meaning that's a simple theory. It's just very simple. The difficulty is just making sure we do that. None of these people became great, close to Allah, except with the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have to spend time for the dhikr of Allah. This is one of the greatest. The, one of the, in, in fact, it's not the only benefit. This is the greatest, one of the greatest of the benefits of remembering of Allah. The dhikr Allah. Ibn al-Qayyim, <coughs> rahimahullah, in his uh, book called Fawaid, uh, he, he's got numerous benefits that he mentioned the dhikr of Allah. I think out of that we have 33 or something. <clears throat> we have 33 of them dis- uh, discussed uh, online. We got a lecture on that. But uh, we'll just go over those 33 quickly and then there's, there's some more. This just tells you the benefit. See, whenever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about love, He speaks about uh, 
The people who believe they are uh, most intensely in love with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That if there's something that you can fall intensely in love with, it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then thus everything. So it says, Ashaddu, like severely, intensely in love with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the way to do that is Allah, to become Adhakirin Allah Kathiran Wadhakirat. Those who Kathiran means abundantly. Those who remember Allah abundantly from the man, male and female. Men who remember Allah abundantly and fem- uh, and women who remember Allah abundantly. And the reason why every moment of your dhikr will be beneficial, even if you find a minute to do dhikr, and just think, okay, I've got, I'm in a bus right now, or I'm in a car or whatever, I'm driving. Just have a, a, have a tasbih hanging there on your dashboard somewhere, on your indicator light or whatever it is that you have. That's very nice. If you, it's very easy. When you see it there, you'll just pick it up. And So even if you find a moment, even if it's a minute, do some dhikr. And just think, this is for my akhirah. I'm just building up there. This is going to be of benefit. It's going to illuminate my day. It's going to bring some light into my day. It's going to make me that much closer to Allah. It's just about trying to get the most out of it. You know, getting this addiction with dhikr somehow. He, he mentions here that uh, in the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there are more than a hundred benefits. First and foremost, it satisfies the most merciful one. If it satisfies the most merciful one, the reason why it's called Ar-Rahman there is then he will give you mercy. وَيَتْرُدُ shaitan, And it repels the shaitan. It really makes him feel bad. وَيُزِيلُ الْهَمْ Remembering Allah will remove your grief because it's a form of tranquility of the heart. May not, you know, reading something five times may not get rid of your concern and worry. But the more you read it, depending on the strength of your worry, that is how that is how much you need to then get rid of that worry because it will give you some tranquility. It will give you. It's not gonna. It's not gonna remove your problem necessarily, but it'll remove your psychological problem. If you've got a problem, a physical problem, a practical problem that's out there, it may not get rid of that, but you will understand how to surmount it, how to deal with it. You won't. You see, if if you're not strong enough inside to deal with the problem, you can't deal with the problem. But if you if we get, uh, if we start remembering Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and we, our tawakkul increases, our love for Allah increases, our focus on the hereafter increases, thus, all of these things to do with the dunya will decrease, and thus you then feel more independent, you feel more in control. That's the way I see it benefiting. وَيَجْلِبُ surur It will bring about happiness. وَيُقَوِّلْ قَلْبَ وَالْبَدَنِ It'll also benefit you. I'm not going to uh, talk about these in detail because we've already covered that online. <clears throat> and you can uh, see that there, inshallah. But it strengthens the heart and the body. The heart is stronger. How does it strengthen the body? I can understand strengthening the spiritual heart, but how does it strengthen the body? The way I see that is it strengthens the heart. If you strengthen the heart, you feel better. And everybody knows that the less depression you have, the less illnesses and sicknesses that you will have. Right? The happier you are, the more you're able to surmount sickness. Cancer, you can fight against it, they say. Right? Depending on your the strength of what you have. And and other things. 
where you know we will qalba wal waj it will illuminate the heart and your face you will make your face resplendent wujuhun yawma idhin nadira especially in the hereafter but even in this world people who do a lot of dhikr they can it can be seen in their face wajlibu rizq it will also give you barakah or bring you sustenance because you'll get more barakah in your sustenance you may not get millions but what you do have will go a long way and you may get millions but definitely you'll get more barakah there'll be less darkness in the home and in your in our wealth it earns you sweetness and awe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you gain that وَيُورِثُ مَحَبَّةَ اللَّهِ تَعَالَىٰ الَّتِي هِيَ رُوحُ الْإِسْلَامِ And eventually it will give you the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which is the whole spirit of Islam is to gain وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَشَدُّ حُبًّا لِلَّهِ Those people who believe they are supposed to be the strongest and in most intense in their love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَيُورِثُ الْمَعْرِفَةَ وَالْإِنَابَةَ وَالْقُرْبَ And it, it will create in you knowledge of Allah, knowing Allah Returning to Allah, inaba, which means always returning to Him after anything, it's like okay, I go back to Allah. Right? Resorting to Allah, wal qurb and close to Allah, so closeness to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Wa hayat al qalb, it'll give your heart life away from the malnourishment, because the sustenance of the heart is the food for the heart is the dhikr of Allah, and some say sleeping with that. Wa dhikr Allahi al abd, and then Allah will remember you. Because Allah says that the one who remembers me, I remember him in a gathering even better than him. In, in a gathering much better than his, which is among the angels and others. So, <clears throat> these are just some of the fawaid. What's very interesting is that, you know, uh, Sheikh Ahmed Sarhindi, Rahmatullahi Ali, who they call Mujaddid al-Fathani. He was born in 970 around that time. He died in uh, 1030 or something like that. He was only about 62, 63 when he passed away. But what's very interesting about him is that he was in Sarhind, which is in Punjab, in the Indian side of Punjab today. It's about five hours, four, a few hours, few hours away from Saharanpur in UP. It's close by. I've, I, I've, I've been to Sarhind. So, um, he, th- there's a sheikh that came from Kabul, whose name was um, Khaja Baqi Billah, they call him. Right? That's why he became known as. He came from Kabul, very low-key personality. I think he remained in Lahore for a while, and then after that he came to... Delhi and he settled there and somebody told Sheikh Ahmad Sarhindi about him now until then there was no Naqshbandiyat in the subcontinent right it was all primarily Chishti, Qadri, Suhrawardi and so on now he'd come because he had gone to study in Mawara'un uh, Nahar Transoxiana Samarkand and in other places and there he had taken the tariqa of Naqshbandiyah from somewhere and then he had come to Hindustan now he had been either told, I forget he, whether he'd been told or in a dream or by somebody else that you will find somebody in the subcontinent who will then do massive work there. So although he was very low-key and you know he wouldn't give people beta, he wouldn't let people come and sit with you know as much uh, and so on, he'd be very reluctant and so on. When 
Mujaddid al-Fithani, Shaykh Ahmad Sarhindi, heard about him and he went to him. Uh, something just clicked and he told him he must stay. And uh, I think he met him only twice or thrice, for different periods of time, within within a few years. And then Khaja Baqibillah passed away. And then when Shaykh Ahmad Sarhindi, when he returned home, he just went from strength to strength. And then <coughs> the Naqshbandi Silsila just spread all over. But it's interesting how that happens. And then when you have Haji Imdadullah, who used to be Naqshbandi before, so a few centuries later then, right, 300 years after, Haji Imdadullah, he is Naqshbandi first, and I think Sheikh, Sheikh passes away, becomes a Chishti, and then the Chishti Silsila spreads. Allah just uses different silsilas at different times. And essentially what they are is just the means to get close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's all it is. <coughs> I just thought that was... Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses different people for different things.